Lord God, thank you for the immense riches we have in you, the wonderful things you've provided us with so that we can follow you and honor you and give you glory and honor and worship. And Lord, we give you thanks this morning for just this opportunity to look at how wonderful you are and all the good things you've given us in this beautiful relationship with you. And we pray you bless Andrew as he speaks your word and help us to really take it on board. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, musicians. And uh, we're looking through the book of Ephesians, a uh, special, special letter to the church at Ephesus and to the faithful in the Lord Jesus. So it's a letter to us today. And uh, it was a circular letter that reached not only Ephesus, but also Laodicea and the churches in that area at that time. And Paul was the founder of this church in Ephesus. And his first visit in the spring of AD 54 was quite brief, but then afterwards he was able to spend three years of active ministry there. So welcome to you all, especially if you're here visiting this morning. Uh, welcome to the faithful remnant, those who have risked coming out. And uh, trust we'll enjoy Paul's prayer and we celebrate our resources in the Lord Jesus this morning. You know, it's hard to believe that Paul was writing this letter from prison. Just incredible as we read through it. Just amazing. I think most of us, if we were in prison, would probably have a slightly different tone. But Paul is writing from prison. And this letter, this letter that we're reading, it's been called Paul's Third Heaven Epistle. Just an amazing, amazing book where he soars from, from the depths of redemption and climbs, depths of ruin, climbs to the height of redemption and speaks to us about it being in the presence of God himself. Uh, it's been called the, the Alps of the New Testament. And uh, we'll pick up that theme a bit later on. So we come to today's reading. It's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. And Sam will read that to us, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Thanks, Sam. For this reason, ever since I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking... I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Thanks, Sam. The title I've chosen this morning is A Prayer for Perception. And uh, those of you who have been following the series so far will know that our first title is Celebrating Our Resources 
in Christ, and in response to that, a prayer for perception. For those who have missed the first few weeks of this series, uh, let me just recap briefly in the introduction, verses 1 to 2. Philip Williamson reminded us that this letter divides into two parts, chapters 1 to 3 and chapters 4 to 6. Chapters 1 to 3, who we are, our calling and identity in Christ, and chapters 4 to 6, how we should live, the church participating in God's victory by walking in Christ's way. And Philip's challenge to us was to appreciate it and to read ahead and to read it all. And I don't know about you, but every time I read Ephesians, it's, it's like going to Valentine's. I just, just come away realizing there's just so much more and more and more in God's Word and in this letter. It's just a feast, just an amazing feast. And, you know, already in verse 3, we've been told that a key verse, praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And what an extravagant, lavish catalogue of blessings we find in, in verses 4 to 14. Just one complete sentence in the Greek. No full stops, no caps, just a complete summation of extravagant blessings in the Lord Jesus. And in verses 3 to 6, Gary shared on the massive pyramid of grace that we have, all found in Christ. The believer's blessings, spiritual and visible, invisible and imperishable. And the challenge for us from Gary's message, are we in Christ and living for him? And then in verses 7 to 12, Ross asked us, how big is your God? How big is your God? And Ross explored some of these majestic themes in chapter 1, the, the themes in him, redemption, grace, mystery, chosen, and that phrase, that magnificent phrase for the praise of his glory, which occurs again and again. And then last week in verses 13 to 14, Peter reminded us of the good news of the gospel. The seal of the Holy Spirit, that's the deposit, the down payment, guaranteeing our relationship with the Lord Jesus, our certainty, our security, our hope. And that's good news. So if I've missed any of the punchlines, forgive me, just to show you I've been taking notes. And now in verse 15, Paul has heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus. He's heard of their love for all the saints and this prompts a constant prayer in verse 16, a constant prayer for these believers. His prayer is not for their temporal needs. He's not praying for good health for them or good weather or adequate employment. He's praying an incredible prayer for spiritual perception, spiritual enlightenment. Verse 17 and 18. And so my focus today is a prayer for perception. We've got to get these glasses on, these reading glasses that allow us to just have that insight and recognition. Paul's prayer in verse 17 to 18, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That's an amazing prayer. That should be our prayer this morning. That 
the spirit of wisdom and revelation will be known in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of our hearts, that's our inner self, our innermost being, will be flooded with light. Not just head knowledge, we need heart revelation of God. So the first point I have for you this morning is we need to know God's person. You know, Jeremiah 9 verse 23 and 24 says, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the strong man boast of his strength. Let not the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows God. That is the crucial focus of Christian journey and life that we might know God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. John 17, verse 3, that was the prayer of the Lord Jesus. This is life eternal, that they may know God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. John Piper, in his book, God is the Gospel, poses a question which really challenges me, and this question is this. I'm wondering whether we are actually missing the point when we come to the Lord's blessings. John Piper says this, Is divine love the endorsement of self-admiration? The sad thing is that a radically man-centered view of love permeates our culture and our churches. From the time they can toddle, we teach our children that feeling loved means feeling made much of. We have built philosophies around this view of love, parenting skills, motivational strategies, etc. But when you apply this definition of love to God, it weakens his worth, undermines his goodness, and steals our final satisfaction. We claim to be praising God because of his love for us. But if his love for us is at the bottom of his making much of us, who is really being praised? So the challenge we have today is, are we being God-centered, or is God being man-centered in our approach? We are willing to boast in the cross as long as the cross is a witness to our worth. Who then is our pride and joy? And John Piper says this, is God's glory in Christ the foundation of your gladness today? You see, we can come to God's blessings. We can come to these resources, and we'll talk more of them this morning. But if that is the sum of our focus and our enjoyment, we have missed the point. So as we celebrate resources today, we need to see beyond all the blessings and know God. Know Him, the source. Know the giver, not just the gifts. See the purpose of these blessings for His praise and glory. Imagine, if you like, your special, special friend tells you that he's got a special, special something for you. And there it is in this special, special container. And in there, there's something very, very important, very precious and very meaningful. Imagine if you spent all that time gazing at that ring box and never opened the container. And imagine if every time he phones you or talks to you, you say, look, I just can't keep my eyes off that special, special container you've given me. It's so, so, so wonderful. And, you know, I actually put it under my pillow at night, and I actually take it with me to work 
And all the time I'm thinking about this container. What an absolute waste of extravagance. Because in there, there's something very special. And we might open it later on. We need to get back to appreciating God for who he is, to know God's person. And secondly, Paul's asking the readers to have perception to know God's plan. Verse 18, read together, I pray that your, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The hope to which he has called you. In Christ, we have been called by God. God has revealed a glorious, amazing, intricate plan in his church, in his precious body, the bride of Christ. And God has called us through the gospel. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14, God has called us to share in the glory of God through the gospel. He has called us out of darkness into his amazing light. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 tells us that he has called us so that we might declare his praises. He's told us that we are a special chosen people, redeemed, chosen, set apart, belonging to him. Why? To declare his praises. What an amazing plan. And Paul is asking the believers at Ephesus to have that spirit of wisdom and revelation to appreciate God's plan for them. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12 tells us that he has called us to his kingdom and his glory. Think of it, the amazing, amazing program of God. The eternal God has planned before the foundation of the world that we, his people, might be those who declare his praises and show forth his kingdom and his glory. That is amazing. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 tells us that we are his workmanship. We are literally his masterpiece. Why? So that we might be to the praise of his glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory, Paul says in Colossians chapter 1. Why? So that we might declare his praises to those that we meet. And God has a call for you. God has a plan for you and me today. That hope is a confident anticipation. It's not a heads or tails toss. It's not a lottery ticket. It is the confident anticipation that we will be with him and like him in glory. Our hope is to be holy and blameless, adopted as sons, centered in Christ. Several years ago in, in America, they were having a Bible conference in a place called Montrose in Pennsylvania, and during one of the sessions of that conference, they had an open time of sharing and testimony and, and an old man called Jim, old Jim, rose to his feet and told of his conversion experience. And he described the night when he met the Lord Jesus. This is what he said. He said, it seemed like heaven came down and glory filled my soul. That was the experience of the glorious hope of the gospel in that man's life. And J.P. Peterson was there at that time, and he, he heard that phrase and went away and wrote the hymn we sometimes sing, Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day. Day I will never forget. 
born of the Spirit with life from above, into God's family divine, justified fully through Calvary's love. Oh, what a standing is mine. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. And Paul was saying to the believers at Ephesus, know God's plan for you. Know that heaven has come down right to where we are and given us a hope of glory, which is to the praise of his glorious name. That is the heart of the gospel message, that God has called us from darkness to light, from ruin to rescue, from death to life. Why? Because of his amazing resources and abundance in the Lord Jesus. That is the Christian's hope today. That is your hope and mine if you know the Lord Jesus. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Paul is saying to the Ephesians, just open your eyes and your heart so that you can see his plan and know it for yourself. Know the Lord's person and know his plan. Thirdly, in verse 18, we find that we need to know God's provision. Verse 18b, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. David Jeremiah, study Bible. I love the note here. God was not satisfied with possessing suns and stars. He wanted children and saints. Amazing. The amazing theme of the inheritance of the saints and light. The amazing, amazing goldmine of God's purposes of giving us an inheritance, a future with him in glory. Heirs with God and joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 5 tells us that he has blessed us with this inheritance for his pleasure. And chapter 1, verse 11 tells us that he has, been, he has chosen us for this inheritance. Some commentators would suggest that it's not our inheritance, but it's the Lord's inheritance in us. That the Lord Jesus, like the man seeking a goodly pearl, goes and spends all that he has for the pearl of great price to win us for himself, and that we are his inheritance. But truly it is also mutual, it's reciprocal, that we are also partakers of that inheritance. Now I need to say here that verse 3 talks about every spiritual blessing. If we talk about inheritance, sometimes we think about, you know, that dollars in the bank and that kind of thing. We're not referring to a life of physical prosperity. Not every believer is granted physical prosperity. But one thing we are promised is a spiritual inheritance in the Lord Jesus. We can truly say that we are children of the King. We can truly say that God is the portion of our life and our inheritance forever. And so I would encourage you as a believer you know, let's stop talking and thinking about the bank balance. We tend to do that. I have to do that for work. But it's good to forget about the bank balance and think about heaven's bank balance, the inheritance, the riches in Christ. You know, the, the old-time missionaries in India, I was brought up where we had a lot of beggars around us, and the beggars would come to our door, and the beggars would meet us in the marketplace and on the bus and on the train. And I was taught from a young age, you don't feed the beggars and you don't beg. The old-time missionaries in India, they never talked about money. They never talked about support. They talked about the Lord. 
They talked about the inheritance we have in Christ. And I was with some missionaries from Germany recently, and they, they came to our house and they said, we want to sing a song. Can we sing that song, I'm a child of the king? My father is rich in houses and lands. He holds the wealth of the world in his hands. Rubies and diamonds, silver and gold. His coffers are full, his riches untold. And these German missionaries sung this like they meant it. Gerhard and Brigitte Stamm. I'm a child of the king, a child of the king with Jesus my saviour. I'm a child of the king. The riches of his glorious inheritance. And Paul says, grasp it. Appreciate it. Open your eyes. The Holy Spirit grant you that wisdom and understanding to appreciate the riches of the glorious inheritance. I was picked up by a man in Christchurch for a meeting, and he was driving a new car. And as I sat in the car, I said, this is a nice car, Mr. Neat. This was Jack Neat. And he, he said, you know what? It's called a legacy. And that's what it is. My auntie's passed away, and this is the result. And I thought of that poor, rusting car, depreciating as it drove out the car yard, and I thought of the inheritance that we have in Christ, which is so much more precious and meaningful and lasting than that poor old rusty legacy. You see, Peter says in his, his letter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, we have an inheritance which will not perish or fade or spoil, kept in heaven for you. And Paul says to the believers, know God's provision for your life. Make sure that you appreciate that incredible inheritance that we have in Christ. Fourthly, we're told in verse 19, Paul prays that his readers will have perception to know God's power. We've talked about God's person, his provision for us, his plan for us, and now God's power. Let's read it together. Verse 19, his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Paul loves to use these, what we say, superlatives, the, the words that just are overflowing with meaning, the exceeding greatness above and beyond, the, the super, majestic, mega, epic, unsearchable, surpassing, incredible. Words are insufficient for what Paul was describing. And right here in these words, in verse 19, Paul is actually combining several, several Greek words to express the strength of this love. That power, that dynamic power is working. It's energetic and effective. It is a mighty strength. It's forceful and mighty, and it's exerted in Christ, strong and vigorous. What is the result of this power? It has raised Christ from the dead. It has seated Christ at God's right hand. And that same power is the power that God is offering in Christ to you and me as his children. So we've been rejoicing in our blessings, and rightly so. But remember, remember, there is a danger. Imagine you've received an engagement ring. And in this special, special container, there's a ring. And this is actually a special ring. It's, I mean, you've heard about the Apple Watch and all the things it can do. Well, amazing. If, um, just imagine if this ring 
could do so many different things. It could tell the time. It could uh, tell the weather. Imagine if this ring could actually drive your car for you. You don't need a Google car or anything like that. You just take this ring and it opens the car for you and drives it. Imagine if this ring, you could go to the, the keyboard and, and just it would just play for you. Imagine that. No more, no more scales, no more crotchets or quavers and arpeggios and dantes and fortes and chopsticks. Just incredible. Amazing. Imagine if this ring could, could sketch for you. You could go to a blank canvas and just say, there you go, and it would, it would sketch horses like Gary Gilpin, like Gigi, just like that. Imagine. Imagine if this ring could just do all that for you. Of course it can't. I, I think I probably got it from Magnamail or something like that. But, but again, there is still only just a portion only a symbol, only a, a, a little representation of all the glorious inheritance and blessings in Christ. And imagine if you as a young person are so enchanted with that ring that you forget the giver and all your time is spent looking at that. Wouldn't that be tragic? You see, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. All those resources, all those plans and purposes. But right now, Paul was saying, appreciate God and know him better. Do you remember your first birthday party? And maybe right now, if you ask questions from your family, they'll tell you when you were one, you were very much preoccupied with the wrapping paper. I remember those number one birthday parties, and the wrapping paper seemed to take the most attention. <clears throat> Possibly when you're two, you actually start to use that word, that, that, that uh, sinister word, mine, and you start to actually enjoy and talk about the cake a bit more and the presents. But if you were asked a few days later, who gave that to you? What was it for? You would struggle. You see, as believers, we need to grow up in our faith. We need to just rise up from being infants and appreciate not just the gifts, but the giver. We need to have our eyes open to this resurrection power, that same power that has conquered sin and death and hell, that same power that is exceeding abundant. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 tells us that. It's able to do more and above all that we ask or think. It's here to indwell us and empower us. It's here, later on in Ephesians, we'll find that it's here to give us strength to, so that we can stand and be strong in God's power with his armor. Why? All for the praise of God's glory. Not for our enjoyment, per se. Not for our simple appreciation, but rather that we might look beyond that and see the source of all these blessings. Verse 20 to 23 says this, that Christ is seated at God's right hand. Victory complete, above all principality and power, above might and dominion, every name, every age, all things under his feet, all centered in the Lord Jesus. That's what Paul wants us to appreciate this morning. Not just the power for our own devices, but that power which is expressed in the Lord Jesus. 
So much so that that key verse, verse 3, every spiritual blessing now is, in a sense, surpassed by verse 20 and 21. Christ all in all, in all the fullness of all. In the USA, there's a problem. They have a problem with celebrity pastors. So much so that in the mega churches in America today, you have people driving to the door of the church and saying, who's preaching today? And if the preacher on that day is not the right person, they drive off again. Celebrity pastors. This church in Ephesians was blessed with amazing teachers. They had Aquila and Priscilla. They had Apollos. They had the blessing of the Apostle Paul. But Paul is saying, look beyond all that. Look beyond all these resources and see the source of all the goodness and glory and grace in your life. It is Christ. It is founded, it is summed up totally in the Lord Jesus Christ, in Christ alone. We've sung that today. That is the secret of spiritual enlightenment today. Max Lucado, in his book, God Came Near, writes about mountaineers on a journey. Climbers scaling a large mountain in Europe, and the view was incredible. Snow-capped rocks, and on clear days, just an inspiring hike. And on clear days, the hikers made great progress. The peak stood above them like a compelling goal. Eyes were called upward, the walk was brisk, the cooperation was unselfish. Though many, they climbed as one, all looking to the same summit. Some days, the peak of the mountain was hidden from view. On those days, the climb became arduous. Eyes were downward, thoughts were inward. The goal was forgotten and tempers were short. Weariness complaints stung like thorns on a trail. And Max Lucado says, we're like that, aren't we? As long as we can see our dream, as long as we can keep that goal in sight, there's no mountain we can't climb. But take away the vision, block our view of the trail's end, and the result is as discouraging as the journey. Hide the Nazarene who calls us from the mountaintop and see what happens. Listen to the groans of the climbers as they stop and sit by the side of the path. Why continue if there's no relief in sight? Pilgrims with no vision of the promised land become proprietors of their own land. They set up camp. They exchange their hiking boots for slippers. They trade in their walking staff for a lazy boy chair. Instead of looking upward at him, they look inward at themselves and outward at each other. The result, cabin fever, quarreling families, restless leaders, fence building, staked off territory, no trespassing signs are hung on hearts and homes. Little spats turn into fights as myopic groups turn to glare at each other's weaknesses instead of turning to worship their common strength. This is Paul's prayer, to see the summit, to see the goal, to see Christ seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places, on the mountaintop. This is the challenge for us today. 
If we see only ourselves, our tombstones will have the same epitaph. The world is the limit of their horizon. Humans were never meant to dwell in the stale fog of the lowlands with no vision of their creator. Think about it. Have we seen the Lord Jesus in all these resources today? That's why God came near to be seen. Three mega resources today. We sum up now. The hope of his calling, the riches of his inheritance, and his power to believers, all revealed to us by that wonderful Holy Spirit that brings wisdom and understanding. And Paul is challenging the believers to have that perception, open eyes, renewed insight, renewed vision, renewed appreciation, to know his person, to know his plan, to know his provision, and to know his power. But why? So that Christ might be all and all to the praise of his glory. That is the secret. Fellow believers, we need to be pressing on the upward way. We need to have our sights set on things above where Christ is seated. And may God give us that spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know him better. Let's pray together. Father, we come to your word with open hearts, with a longing to have that spirit of wisdom and understanding so that we may know you better. We thank you for all these incredible resources found in Christ. We thank you that he is the source, the absolute pinnacle of all that we need and all that we should desire. We thank you that he is the exalted one. He is Lord of all. He is seated at your right hand. We pray that you'll help us to lift our eyes and to see him, to follow him more closely, to love him more dearly, to be faithful to him and to hear his voice to us today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.